I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Hi, John. Well, hello there, John. How is it going? Oh, I'm okay. I'm deep in the throes of Don Pasquale here with Piedmont Opera. We open on Friday. Today is Tuesday. So just a couple more rehearsals before we are out there. That is not terrifying at all. No, it's fine. No, this not is, even remotely. This is fine. No, yeah, it's, this fine. is fine. It's great. This is great. It's great. <laughs> so, John, what have you brought us today? Today, we are talking about the 2014 off-Broadway musical, Heathers, the Musical, with music, lyrics, and book by Lawrence O'Keefe and Kevin Murphy, based on the 1989 movie Heathers, with a screenplay by Daniel Waters. Heathers, the Musical, opened on March 31st, 2014 at New World Stages and closed on August 4th, 2014, having played for 138 performances. The show was directed by Andy Fickman, with choreography by Marguerite Derricks and music direction by Dominic Amendum. The original off-Broadway cast included Barrett Wilbert Reed as Veronica Sawyer, Jessica Keenan Wynn as Heather Chandler, L. McLemore as Heather McNamara, Alice Lee as Heather Duke, Ryan McCartan as Jason J.D. Dean, and Anthony Crivello as Bill Sweeney, Big Bud Dean, and Coach Ripper. As the show never played on Broadway, it was ineligible for any Tony nominations. However, the show was nominated for two Drama Desk Awards and two Lucille Lortel Awards, and it didn't win any of those. To Shamu. That freak's not your friend, I can tell in the end. If she had your shot, she would leave you to run. In 1989, 17-year-old Veronica Sawyer despairs at Westerberg High School's hellish social hierarchy, where students like Martha Dunstock, Veronica's best friend, are tormented by jocks Ram Sweeney and Court Kelly, and the school is ruled by the Heathers, weak-willed Heather McNamara, bulimic and petty but repressed Heather Duke, and mythic bitch Heather Chandler. When Veronica's talent for forgery gets the Heathers out of detention, they give her a makeover and elevate her to their inner circle. Heather C. orders Veronica to forge a love letter from Ram to Martha, tempting Veronica with the promises of popularity. The mysterious, poetry-quoting new kid, Jason J.D. Dean, criticizes Veronica for betraying her friend. After J.D. wins a fight against Ram and Kurt, Veronica finds herself unexpectedly attracted to him. Veronica's parents confess to their daughter that they are not sure they like her new friends and would prefer if she was friends with Martha again. Veronica flirts with J.D. at a 7-Eleven, where he extols the virtues of the Slurpee for numbing his grief. 
At Ram's homecoming party, Veronica gets increasingly drunk and high. When the Heathers cruelly prank Martha, Veronica angrily resigns from the clique and vomits on Heather C., who vows to destroy Veronica's reputation. With nothing left to live for, Veronica breaks into JD's bedroom and has sex with him. After suffering tormenting dreams, Veronica apologizes to Heather C. and mixes hangover cures for her. JD adds toxic drain cleaner to his mug and goads Veronica into serving it to Heather C., who drops dead. Veronica panics, but JD convinces her to forge a suicide note, which paints a more complex, misunderstood Heather C. This fictionalized version of her wins the school's sympathy, and she becomes even more worshipped in death than she was in life. Veronica tries to get on with her normal life, but she is berated and mocked by Heather C.'s ghost, who warns that she had kept the other two Heathers in check, and with her gone, things will get worse. She tries to rescue the remaining Heathers from a drunk Kurt and Ram who unsuccessfully try to assault her. An unleashed Heather D. assumes Heather C.'s status as symbolic red scrunchie, becoming even more of a tyrant than Heather C. was, while Ram and Kurt tell everyone they had sex with Veronica. Veronica is branded a slut, and when J.D. attacks the jocks to defend her, they savagely beat him. J.D. and Veronica comfort each other and plan a vengeful prank. She will lure the jocks to the cemetery with the promise of making their fictional threesome real. Then together, they will shoot them with tranquilizers to knock them out before leaving a forged suicide note confessing they were gay lovers. When the jocks arrive, J.D. shoots Ram, but Veronica misses Kurt. As she realizes Ram is dead and the bullets are real, J.D. shoots Kurt dead and proclaims his undying love to a horrified Veronica. At Ram and Kurt's funeral, a distraught Veronica reflects that they could have outgrown their immaturity. Grief-stricken, Ram's dad chastises Kurt's dad for his homophobic comments, until the latter suddenly kisses the former, revealing their own secret love affair. Confession brings catharsis and all vow to make the world a more tolerant place. Convinced the murders are for the greater good, JD urges Veronica to target Heather D next. She refuses, so he complains about doing nothing in the face of injustice, revealing he witnessed his mother's suicide as a young boy, straining his relationship with his father and causing their constant moving around. Veronica gives him an ultimatum give up violence and live a normal life with her, or lose her forever. J.D. agrees and they reconcile. Martha tells Veronica that she suspects J.D. of murdering the jocks, believing Ram's love note is proof. Veronica, urged on by Heather C.'s ghost, confesses that she forged the note to humiliate Martha, who runs off in tears. Guidance counselor, Miss Fleming, holds a televised therapy assembly. She urges everyone to reveal their fears and insecurities, but only Heather M. admits to suicidal thoughts. Heather D. mocks her and whips the students into a frenzy. Veronica lashes out and blurts out a confession. They didn't kill themselves. I killed them. But everyone laughs mockingly, believing she is only desperate for attention. 
Shortly after, Heather M. tries to kill herself by overdosing in the bathroom while Heather D. taunts her in her subconscious. But Veronica stops her. J.D., carrying a gun, tries to persuade Veronica to kill Heather D. once more. Realizing how unstable he is, a little late, Veronica breaks up with him. J.D. blackmails Heather D. into making the student body sign a petition. Martha, mourning Ram, jumps off a bridge but survives. Veronica rushes to the hospital, taunted by the ghosts of Kurt, Ram, and Heather C., with her parents attempting to assure her that they have been through everything she is going through. Hmm. She returns home, where J.D. breaks in. As she barricades herself in the closet, he reveals the petition, signed by every student, is actually a mass suicide note. Along with his plans to blow up the pep rally and make it look like a mass suicide, using his father's demolition expertise to devise the plan, he breaks open the closet to find Veronica dangling from a noose. Grief-stricken, he leaves to complete his plan. Veronica, having faked her suicide, races to stop J.D. She confronts him in the boiler room, but in their struggle, J.D. is shot. Unable to disarm the detonator, Veronica takes it to the empty football field, out of range to detonate the bombs. J.D. convinces her to let him take the detonator instead. It explodes, killing him alone. Returning to school, Veronica takes the red scrunchie from Heather D., kisses her on the cheek, and ends the era of social ridicule, if it were only that easy. Veronica invites Martha and Heather M. to hang out, rent a movie, and be kids before childhood is over. Monday, 8 a.m., I will be deleted. They'll hunt me down in study hall, stuff and mount me on the wall. 30 hours to live, how shall I spend them? I don't have to stay and die like cattle. I could change my name and ride up to Seattle. But I don't own a motorbike. So, light and frothy. You know, when when you think dark musical comedy, this is no, this is this is totally the story you think of. So, John, this was your pick. It uh, was. It was. Uh, I will say I've seen the movie Heathers, but it's been a while and I really did not super remember the plot. Um, it doesn't seem like musical material to me it doesn't i mean there is actually nothing about this show that ever screamed out in the source material i just wanna sing and um yeah actually it's funny because the handful of critics that saw this show when it first came out um on new world stages that was actually one of their criticisms is that this was a dark dark comedy it was biting satire it was you know it was meant to criticize the clicks and and just the inner machinations that is the modern teenager 
And the story does a really great job of that. Music, not so much. Like one of one of the ultimate criticisms of this show was the music kind of robbed it of its darkness mm. that there are some things you just don't need to sing about. I don't know that I would go that far. And I will be honest, one of the reasons I included this show, one is because, well, it's always fun to talk about shows a little bit off the beaten path. And this one is only a little bit like, I don't feel like this is an obscure show. This is a show that I have seen done. I have never had the the opportunity to work on it. I do would like to someday. I don't know that it's necessarily a bucket list show for me, but it's a show that if someone were to come and say, hey, John, do this, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Why not? This show for me, I think is important because it is... I feel like it is the spiritual door for a lot of shows that we are seeing now. Um, Namely, shows based on movies from the 80s, the 90s, the aughts, so on and so forth, that really have nothing to do with music. That there is nothing inherently in the story that says, hey, this would make a really great musical. I will say I do believe Heather's the Musical is really well put together. I think it is a quality show. I don't think it's a brilliant show. I don't think it, you know, there is nothing that changes the world about this property. But I think without things like Heather's, shows like Beetlejuice, shows like Mean Girls, movies that, again, had really nothing to do with music, had no reason to add music exist. Okay. I hear and see <laughs> what you're saying. I think the the uh you know the bitter side of me believes that the uh financially driven corporate machine that is Broadway would have found a way to create shows like Mean Girls and Beetlejuice either way. But I see what you're saying and it's a it's a valid point. I don't think the criticism about the music kind of detracting from the message of the original story and being, you know, uh, something that you don't need to sing is an unfair criticism. Like we, we live in a free country. You can make a show about whatever you want, but this is not a show that I have any particular desire to see as a musical. And, and that's fair. And, and I, you know, uh, we've talked about in the past right audience for the right show and and there is definitely one for this the the subject material being darker the subject material being very satirical very i mean dark is just the 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 phrase that just keeps coming back on this show because this show is dark it is comedic and I mean, I would go to the point where I don't even know that calling it a dark comedy is is fair because I think it's a dark show that just happens to have some comic elements. Going through the rundown, one of the things that struck me is uh, how many different locations you have to be in for this show and how I would imagine they need to be kind of grand or at least over the top to sell the satire like if they feel too real 
I don't know. It just, I don't know. There's just uh, everything about this show makes just seems like problem after problem after problem. Well, and to be fair, it, you know, it was very stylized. If you go on and you look at various pictures of the production, it was very representational. There was not a lot of concrete. It was, it was not the Avenue Q set where they rebuilt a, a, you know, half a city block a la Sesame Street to do this. A lot of it was representational. A lot of it was this implies this, this implies that. Um, I mean, to be fair, they were also working with an off-Broadway budget. And right. while sometimes those are the most awesome shows, um, they're not they're not going to be super concrete, super realistic. What else do you want to say about this show, John? I'm struggling to find nice things to say, and I don't want to be just a shithead. We've talked, you know, I've kind of gone and on and on, and I've blathered about why I feel like this show is important or, you know, what it points to for things that come later. But I want to spend just like a couple minutes on the actual show itself. As a whole, I do enjoy this show. I do not think this show is exceptional. I do not think it is it is a brilliant show. I feel like the music suffers in a couple of different regards. There are some really great songs from this show uh, that Lawrence O'Keefe and Kevin Murphy. Lawrence O'Keefe, we've actually talked about before. He's done uh, Legally Blonde. He's the, the, Lawrence O'Keefe is one of those names in the 21st century in musical theater who people don't often talk about but also don't realize, oh, that's someone who's actually done some really great stuff. We just haven't put them on a pedestal like we have other people in the 21st century. And so you've got songs like Dead Girl Walking, Candy Store, 17. These are songs that are actually pulled out. I hear them all the time in cabarets. I hear them all the time in music theater recitals or group musical numbers for various competitions at the high school level. But as a whole, I feel like this score is pretty uneven because for every dead girl walking candy store in 17, you have a song like Blue, which to me is a bit beyond the pale. And I admit I am carrying some bias here because Blue is a song about two boys bragging about how they just assaulted someone. And I'm like, this is a little crap. And now I actually have an interesting side story about this song. So a million years ago before the pandemic, I was working on a production of into the woods. Matter of fact, not only was I working, I was, I was double dipping. I was directing and music directing it, which for those people out there who ever think about doing stuff like this, don't ever do, especially if you're going to do something like into the woods, don't ever do double duty on it. It's stupid. Anyway, so for those of you who are familiar with Into the Woods, which is basically everyone who's listening to this podcast because it's Music Theater 101, it's very, not golden age, but it's very straightforward. It's Sondheim, yes, so it's wordy, but it's very harmonic, it's very lyrical, it's very romantic in style. And I had two guys come in, audition for The Princes on the song Blue, which is basically as far from Sondheim as you can get. And I'm just sitting there trying not to cover my face with my hands during this audition, because when you're sitting at the audition table, you cannot do that. Like you, you just, you cannot. Um, and so I will fully admit, I carry some baggage for this song. It's, it's crass. It's over the top. It's offensive. 
It's not constructed particularly well. All you end up remembering is the lyrics. The tune itself is not very good. They ended up actually replacing the song with another song called You're Welcome, which softened it a little bit, but is still kind of crass for lack of a better word and i'm not a prude i'm not i'm not going to sit here and say oh no they've offended the the gentiles how dare they that's not going to happen that's my role on the podcast exactly because as we know you you (laughs) get anything over pg you just get horribly offended i'm not going to sit here and say i'm a prude but i feel like those two songs were meant to be offensive for the sake of being offensive which to be fair was a thing in the 20 teens in musical theater. There's actually a show from very early, I want to say it was 2010, 2011, where someone did an off-off-Broadway production of Night of the Living Dead. And don't bother going out and looking for it or checking it out. It is not very good for, for many, many reasons. But part of part of its unevenness was that its songs were meant to be offensive for the sake of being offensive uh the one that sticks in my mind is is the the toe tapper why are you cornholing me jesus that is the actual title of the song so just to kind of get you on the level of the discourse we're talking about i don't feel like crassness for the sake of being crass is always the best attempt for a musical genre if you want to be pushing that line you better have a point and this show doesn't and it really makes the score uneven for me other shoe with this music is it sounds like it was written in 2014 and i i know i'm like that's who like that's a weird that that's a weird hill for me to die on but it doesn't it doesn't add anything to the to the musical theater vocabulary for me it doesn't there's nothing about it saying that i can say "Mm, that would be interesting going forward or "Mm, i saw where this came from in shows from before it just kind of exists and as a concept this it just it weakens the music for me because it can only exist in this moment in this scene and like I just, I don't know that, I guess that ultimately bothers me on a visceral level. Yeah. I mean, I have not listened to this show as closely and as carefully as you have. So it doesn't quite strike me as being 2014 specifically. It just sort of sounds like kind of generic contemporary music to me. Nothing about this show sticks with me in a meaningful way. So it's going to be a no for me. And and you know what? Ultimately, that's fair. I think maybe this is a show that you're always going to find on college campuses. There is now a high school version, which tones it down a lot. That's worrisome. Which I have not seen, but I am intrigued by because they supposedly rewrote the almost the almost entire script. And I'm like, how do you how do you change some of this? God Um, damn it, you greedy bastards. Not everything needs to be made for children. If you're going to make something like this, just leave it the fuck alone for the adults who can handle it. And, you know, I mean, so this show is always going to have a place, but I think its most important place is kind of in that little footnote at the bottom of the page that informs what comes next. And, And that's fine. I feel like you have to have a show like this to help 
open o- open that idea for what's going to come five, ten years down the road, which is kind of where we're at right now. And and we're getting some really good stuff with it. We're getting some really decent stuff with it too. So I'm not I'm not saying that this is revolutionizing the industry, but it's it's a good thing to have incorporated. It's a good thing to have assimilated into the style. So John, if if this conversation has whetted someone's appetite for Heather's, can they hear it? <laughs> they can. There is a cast recording of the 2014 off-Broadway cast on Ghostlight Records that is pretty much everywhere. Or you can go to any high school Broadway night cabaret, and I promise you, you will probably hear Dead Girl Walking or Candy Store or 17 because they always come up. And that would, yeah, that would be it. I feel compelled to point out that uh, if you decide to listen to this show, you will find that, uh, shockingly, some of the songs have an explicit label on them. Uh, Not normally something we have to say in a musical theater podcast, but just for those of you with the uh, sensitive constitutions out there who might be listening, be prepared. So kids, get your parents' permission before you call and listen to this soundtrack. ever end still i miss you i'd be honored if you'd let me be your friend friend. we can be 17 we can learn how to Well, that should just about do it for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time.